podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the show that brings you untapped business ideas from successful entrepreneurs. My name is Chris Justin, and I'm here with Ethan Janney. Ethan, how's it going? It's going good. Got the pressures on to bring up something interesting up here. Uh, NFTs. I've been really getting excited about NFTs lately. Non-fungible tokens, the kind of art and collectible side of cryptocurrencies. Yeah. And I heard you made some money on some some NFTs. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's kind of a lark. One of my buddies texted me uh, about NBA Top Shot, which is one of the more popular NFTs out there. And uh, yeah, I had 20 minutes to kill. So I signed up and flipped some Top Shot cards for 350 bucks. That's not not bad Incredible. for uh, you know 20 minutes of <laughs> logging onto some platform and trying it out. But we're not here to talk about the latest in modern technology, actually. We're, we're here to talk to our guest, uh, Dominic Monkhouse. I'll give a quick introduction. He is a business coach, a scale-up expert, host of the Melting Pot podcast, author of a book called F Plan B. He's got an idea to start a country experience hotel, basically a place where you can go collect eggs from the chickens uh, before they prepare your gourmet breakfast for you. So Dominic, tell me like, what made you think of this idea? Is there a story behind it? I suppose I, I worked my way through university working in a, in a pizzeria. So I've got some sort of front of house hospitality skills. And then the businesses that I grew uh, the tech firms I grew, I used to hire people from hospitality. There's something about the resilience of people who've worked in a restaurant or a bar. I mean, would you do it if you didn't like people? Probably not. And, you know, maybe people are rude or maybe, you know, the hours are long and the pay is not very high. And so there's, I used to hire lots of people who worked in shops or stores or worked in restaurants or bars. And they had tech skills, but they had that sort of underlying hospitality. And and I guess as a international traveler, I spend, or normally, 2020 being an exception, I would normally spend quite a lot of time in hotels. And we've got a sort of little hobby farm where we host our clients for their strategic retreats. And so if I wasn't doing business coaching, then maybe we would we could rent out rooms here. And so then, you know, when you said, what would your business idea be? It's like, okay, well, I need to think about this on a grander scale. It would have to be large enough to pay the bills as opposed to just being a hobby. So I sort of thought, okay, well, I could, I think I could scale this idea up. This could work. I got, I got to bring in something really cool, which I just heard about last night from some from friends who are, are deep into real estate. Apparently, and I may be wrong on this, but I heard, I heard it just yesterday. U.S. Department of Agriculture will give some pretty incredible grants for first-time farmers. So if you want to pursue this idea and you've got some big financial assistance from the government, they'll give some loans and grants to really help you get things off the ground and make it easy for you to get started. So very interesting. Apparently, they have a lot of money, you know, a lot of people getting out of farming, but the Department of Agriculture still has funding to help you know, farmers get things going. And so they need to use it. So I'll give it to you. Yeah, thank you. Well, the, in the UK, the average age of a farmer is 60. And so, you know, there's, there is constantly this pressure, even in the UK, to get young people to come into farming. 
And there is a big shift, of course, everyone knows this going on in the food area where people are looking for more farm to table, looking for more organic foods and building an experience around that, I think is just a, a brilliant idea. This would be, I was telling Don before we started recording here that I would love for this, this weekend, <laughs> I'd love to go out and, you know, shoot some pigeons or try to shoot some pigeons. There's no chance in, in hell that I'd actually hit one, but uh <laughs> And then, and then try and, you know, collect my eggs and have all that. That sounds delightful. And by the way, Chris, this is going to be perfect for my island in, in Argentina. Yeah, exactly. There you right? go. <laughs> it's just, yeah, yeah. There's a, by the way, yeah, Dominic, there's a, there's an island for sale in Argentina, which already has like wild game roaming around it. And it's quite large, many acres. There's a little forest on there. There's, I'll be buying perfect. it hopefully sometime in the next, <laughs> next year or so. So all this sounds like great fun, Dominic, to, uh, you know, to start this countryside resort and you're going to have this wonderful food and you're going to get some fresh air, all that stuff. It, it sounds like it's, it's very romantic to do something like that. Give us a, a smackdown of reality here. What, what all goes into this? What are some of the things that you need to think about when considering launching this venture? Well, I, I do think there's a, there's a scale thing. Like how big does it need to be, right? So like how many rooms? I, I'm not sure that occupancy is going to be a problem. I think occupancy is going to be pretty good. You know, it's about experiences. Uh, Location is going to be important. And the experiences that you can provide are somewhat location dependent, I guess. You know, if it's near the sea, you can do some sea fishing. If it's not near the sea, well, you'll have to think of something, do something else. Um, you need enough land because if you're if you're going to keep some cattle and that's going to make a material difference to your restaurant bill, then you've got to have enough land. You know, cows, pigs take up a little bit of space. You probably need an acre per cow. Pigs, you can have a little bit more density. Chickens and geese. You don't need tons of space for them. Got those roaming around, roaming around here already. Some dogs. There's a. I saw a startup a couple of years ago that was, you know, urban startup where you know, if you lived somewhere that you didn't have a dog, you could rent a dog or borrow somebody's dog and take it for walks. And I had a number of friends who don't have dogs who thought that was going to be a fantastic idea. And you know, here we at work, we've got a couple of chocolate labradors, and so actually the some of the ladies who work for us, we say, oh, we've got some posting. To, we need somebody, somebody taken to the post office. And they love the idea of just get taking a dog for a walk. And so it's, you know, there are lots of these things that sort of feed in or, or I've got two small girls, uh, seven and five. And there's a, there's a sort of local petting zoo, you know, you can go and see the deer and, and see small animals, but there's nothing like that for adults. And, and when people come down to the farm, where we've got some cows, quite often we give them, you know, we'll say, here, look, here's a bucket of carrots, go and feed the cow or the cows. And, and people say, well, I've never been in a field with cows before. And we say, look, they're friendly. Why don't you just go in the field and in fact, stand by the fence and they'll come over and you can give them a scratch and feed them a carrot. And they're like, oh, really? Cows? I'm a bit scared of cows. No, it's okay. And they come over and they take, oh, oh, it's got, hasn't it got a rough tongue? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, it does. The cow tongue's really rough. And so, you know, like you've seen these things when you're small children, but most adults never have, unless you're a farmer or you, you know, you've spent your life in the country. It's fascinating. A couple of things I'm noticing. First of all, it's just a little bit off topic, but I think a great thing to point out. Um, I recently read Principles by Ray Dalio, and he said something to the effect of, 
you know, even though he's one of the richest guys in the world, that what's more important to him than money is working, you know, with people that he enjoys working with, you know, meaningful work, you know, and, and kind of having that meaningful relationships and meaningful work. That's what he called it. And I'm really getting the sense from the way that you're presenting, you know, how you interact with the people who work for you and the way you're trying to set up your life. You, you even said you bring people on business retreats at this kind of farm location. It sounds like you've got that under control. I really respect that. So the other thing I'll follow up with is uh, I did a composting project back in New York City. And so I got I got to have firsthand look at the distance people have in an urban environment from exactly what you're talking about. Actually, in my apartment building, I went around asking people if they want to participate giving their compost and we would take it to be composted. And I talked to a woman who literally did not understand that food turns into soil. <laughs> and I said, you know, I said, you know, your food scraps. She said, oh, my food scraps. I, I always put them in a plastic bag and get them out of here as soon as possible. I was like, well, you know, those, those are necessary for like the cycle of life, you know? I said, that could turn into soil. And she's like, how do you turn it into soil? You put it in a blender? And I said, worms eat that food and and then they poop it out and that's dirt and she's like oh my god that's terrible that's disgusting you know and it, it but it's fascinating right and there's we we now are in an age where we have children growing up who eat hamburgers and have no idea that that actually comes from a cow like all these things and and that it's part of why Chris and I care a lot about the future of the planet it's part about why we're so disconnected from how badly the planet's going off track. We don't really understand the ecosystem and the cycle of life and all these things. So there's a lot of benefits to it. Okay, there's my little rant. Yes, I do find it slightly maddening when somebody says to me, just just staying on that sort of uh, future of the planet bit, you know, and they say, well, you have, we should give up beef, you know, we should give up beef because beef's ruining the planet. And in the UK, 75% of agriculture is under ruminants as opposed to under crops and that's because it wouldn't support any crops and so if we didn't have those cows eating the grass into because cows are amazing they turn grass something we can't eat into beef something that we can eat and they're incredibly good at it and we couldn't grow anything on the land that they eat and then if you farm regeneratively then you know you overcome soil erosion and a whole load of other stuff so there's just there's there's not only in touch with the animals that you know from your composting project but there's also there's also a whole what should farming look like so that we can feed the planet in a way that doesn't cut down the amazon rainforest and grow soybeans and feed cattle and feedlots which is just awful for everybody one thing that i'll add to that is i've heard that the netflix documentary under the ground or something like that. We'll have to look up the exact title if I'm wrong on that. But Woody Harrelson is is narrating it. You see his mug whenever I'm uh, scrolling on Netflix. But that's probably a good resource to check out if you're interested in this sort of regenerative farming and yeah, doing this sort of thing. Let's bring it back to the hotels aspect of it. Because one thing that I'm thinking about as you're describing the farmland, that's all, again, I'm playing bad cop here a little bit. That's all the uh, things that make it cool and fun, feel good. Running a hotel and building a hotel operation is it that's a hard business in itself and if you're layering in this farm aspect of it you you highlighted this yourself that's uh that you know that's a challenge it can take uh, years to both build something out to acquire the capital to to do everything required to run a hotel in itself i'm going to jump into it a, a little aside for an example 
there's a so this is a, a different sort of hotel, but Cabana, Cabana.life, they're doing a hotel on wheels. And I thought I thought one of the interesting things about that is uh, if you go to their homepage, there's this two friends sitting in the cabana uh, vehicle that has the uh, a full kitchen and it's got a bed and it's got you know a shower, all that stuff, and they're just you know overlooking the mountains. But the interesting thing about that is the founder mentioned he thinks of it purely as a hotel business, and he mentioned to get a new room quote unquote, AKA a vehicle in their case, converted into this hotel room is about 80 grand compared to up to 500 grand per room for a traditional hotel. And his occupancy rates are super high. He still charges over $200 per night. There's an example of a twist on a hotel business. You know, you're bringing something else in, you get to travel and you're taking your cabana to Yosemite park. We're us focused here. Sorry, Dom, but, uh, you know, you're traveling out there and, but he's still like the numbers made a lot of sense. The, the actual like accoutrements of the idea made the core hotel business more effective and, and more, more capital effective, efficient. So I'm curious if there's anything related to that, that any, any synergy related to that that can be brought in. I'll jump in with a different example. Just put some, because you just gave some numbers, I'll give some numbers. It just so happens that my little family of three, we went on a little getaway to a farm back in December. We brought my son when he turned three there for his birthday. And exactly the type of experience you you know you're, you're describing. He, they had a little toy. They even had a little toy tractor that they brought over that he could play with. And you know they had chickens that we could go feed. And they had a fireplace. And we got to use the fireplace. And we roasted marshmallows. And we chopped our own firewood. And that was actually an exciting part of it. It wasn't like work. You know, my wife got got excited about chopping firewood. So um, just to give put some numbers on it though, we. Uh, we spent 350 bucks for three nights. Now we we were we on the lookout for an incredible deal, and we thought that was a really great deal. And we had like a whole farmhouse to ourselves. We happened to because there weren't other people staying there, so we only stayed in two bedrooms. But they, I think they had a three bedroom and a first floor and all this stuff. But a, a night, I think it's reasonable that you could charge per room. You know. 150 bucks, 100, uh, 200 bucks. I think this has got to be way more than that. Yeah. Do you think it's going to be more per night? I would think so because. Well, Chris will pay more. Chris will pay more. <laughs> yeah, I'll pay more. Pony up, Chris. <laughs> if I get to feed the cows and feel that rough tongue. <laughs> it's 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 $15 for the tongue experience. <laughs> That's what you can charge for all those little things. Like, oh, you want to feel the cow's tongue? That's, that's no, it, it'll be like we're not a, going like budget airline style. Where, yeah, it'll be like the yeah, air. Yeah, you exactly. gotta, to pull back your seat, they're going to charge you, which you should never do, by the way. <laughs> all right, Dom, we're going off the rails. Well, I, well it's funny because I it's uh, interesting because most of the hotel chains don't own their own hotels what they do is they take a license to run a hotel from the owner of the physical hotel we the family and i were away in greece last summer and you know the guys who are running the hotel mark warner don't own the hotel it's a greek guy who owns the business they they've been in that hotel then they they fell out and they went somewhere else and then they made up and they came back and so you know if you if you have a concept that you can prove Potentially, you don't need the millions of pounds to build a hotel. You might there might be a, a property you could take on, property you could rent, that would work. 
Or maybe you just scale down the whole thing. And if the farm that Ethan was on was 12 rooms or could hold 12 people, maybe that's it. And the thing is, if you had scarcity, you maybe you get to charge a premium. So maybe it's like five star, five star farm and it's only got 12 rooms. It, if it works, you'd probably be able to go and raise money and do it again and do it again. Yeah, it seems like another thing, another thing you could do is if there's people with existing farms and farmland, you could go and sell it to them as an extra way to make income, especially given some of these farms are not maybe aren't doing great um, and say, hey, let's take a portion of your property. I got some ready made modular little cabins. We'll put a bunch of them on the farm and you'll let people hang out and and uh, see what's going on. Give them tours and we'll help you. We'll help set up that that part of it. And those modular homes are it's kind of like that converting a van idea. You know, it's, it's, it might be more like one hundred thousand dollars instead of five. Well, in the UK, they've got that sort of cabin concept. There's a oh, I've forgotten what the what they're called but there's there's a company called Featherdown farms and they put yurts on the farm so it's that sort of temporary thing you don't need planning permission there's no electricity but there's a log fire and so you know you don't need to have run water and 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 utilities out to it and and that is a quite expensive way to go and stay in a tent so i know there's a there's a demand but i was thinking about chris's comment which was what's the biggest challenge and i think that it's probably the people because it's a hospitality business. And so, you know, you're, you know, it could look great in the brochure, but you turn up and it's the, it's the interaction that you have with the people that you meet whilst you're there. That is, you know, if you think about a hotel or a restaurant, you know, you go out for dinner, it's not necessarily the fact that the wallpaper is amazing or the quality of the table and the chairs and the cutlery, they don't necessarily make a great night. You know, you can go out with a group of mates and the server in your restaurant can make or break the night. I remember looking at something like the Gallup Strength Profile, which is a way in which Marriott, I think, had, had used to identify the staff that they wanted to take back of house and put front of house. But I, I mean, I, I lived and worked in, in San Antonio in Texas for a little while. But before I was living there, I, I went to uh, La Mencion, which is a hotel down on the Riverwalk. And I remember ringing down in the morning and saying, look, I've looked at the menu, but I could really just do with some, some plain yogurt, some natural yogurt and some fruit. Could I have that, please? And so this lady, Maria, said, yes, not a problem at all. And she sent up enough food, well, like a gallon of yogurt and enough fruit for about a family of five for a week. And so I ate what I needed and I just, you know, left the rest. And the next day I rang down and said, is that Maria? Could I have the same again? And she said, oh, Mr. Monkhouse, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so pleased you called because yesterday your food came back down and it looked like you hadn't touched it. And I was really worried that I hadn't understood what you wanted. And it's like most of the time, I would say 99% of the time, I've never been in a hotel, large hotel where I've spoken to the same person twice. And so rarely do you ever speak to anyone who cares what you think. Or, or cares enough to have the conversation with you. And so I think it's people like Maria that you want to go and hire. You want people who love delivering great service. And then if you can drop them in an environment where some of them are cooking and maybe you're running cookery courses or some of them have got a shotgun license and can take you out clay pigeon shooting or somebody knows the forest well and can take you out foraging. Coming back to the idea of you know, the business itself, the hotel business, I've gotten a, an example that I've uh, personally been a customer of. It's a, in a different and slightly different industry. It's the restaurant business. In New Orleans, there is this now chain called Ruby Slipper that was started. It was an ex-Shell uh, employee, I believe, who started it. And her and her husband, they Googled how to start a restaurant 
and they just followed the steps, right? They just did exactly what everyone knows to do for this industry that's been around for super long. And that struck, that always struck me as, yeah, if you just actually do the things that everyone knows to do, that you can probably be pretty successful. I think that that would probably be true in the hotel industry. Well, I, I, you know, like you look at shows like Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares and he walks into a restaurant and you think these people who run restaurants never watch these shows, <laughs> right? Because he turns up, these shows have been on for decades and he turns up and he goes, yeah, you've got 350 items on your menu. How can you possibly cook them all well? You know, why are you doing this Thai... <laughs> Icelandic fusion thing that nobody understands, right? You know, it just and it's like there's just a simplicity finding something and doing it well. What's your niche? Chris, by the way, aside from this business idea at all, should we go in together on a farm? Should we become farmers? <laughs> I mean, we should take advantage of this USDA land grant and just like just buy, you know, buy a farm and start this. Yeah, yeah. yeah this episode is not going to be released because uh, we are taking <laughs> the idea. I need to issue a correction real quick. That documentary is called Kiss the Ground, not Under the Ground. Kiss the Ground, better title. This reminds me, actually, so right down the block from us, uh, they knocked down a little old dentist's office and they're building a, a, a different building. And they knocked it down over, over the wintertime. And of course, my son loves construction. So we would go over there and just watch, right? Watch the whole process. And they had this big... Um, you know, construction machine with the, with the, I can't think of the dig, he calls it a digger. And so they did a couple of amazing things for him because it was such a small uh, construction site, the security, you know, the like safety precautions were not as high. So number one, yeah, yeah, they yeah, let yeah, him yeah, come yeah. into the site and sit inside the actual truck, you know, and where they have the knobs and things to pull things. And then because they saw us watching, the guy that was running the digger did one of the coolest things I've ever seen. I wouldn't even have thought of. He took the actual digging part of it and he pointed it towards my son and he made the digger go like this. So it looked like it was waving at him, <laughs> like up and down. And that was it. That, you know, that was like the best day of his life. <laughs> so for anybody out there who runs a construction equipment, make it wave at a kid and you'll, you'll change their life. <laughs> Um, I, I was looking up just just to, you know, you, you could search for hours trying to figure out this stuff. And I have just previously out of curiosity, like finding these modular, you know, little homes that you can buy. I found a place called A-Frame USA. I think it's A-Frame, not Avram. But yeah, you could buy like an A-Frame type of little cabin for a, couple, a few hundred square feet. And it looks like it's under 50K. Of course, you're going to have to hook up maybe electricity and figure out some details around that. But, you know, there's going to be little, hopefully there's going to be little cabins and things like that, that you could potentially put in as part of this project. Yeah. My wife keeps saying we should do something like that here. And I keep saying that not at the moment, do one business at a time. Smart. That's why you're here. <laughs> just to talk about it. To talk. We're just talking. Don't worry. <laughs> so that's a, it, that's a good launching off point to start talking about what you are currently working on. Dom, can you tell, tell the listener about F plan B and, and some of your other projects? I've spent most of my working life working for North American tech firms. So Rackspace, who are headquartered in San Antonio, Texas, and what was then Pier 1 Hosting, who were headquartered in Vancouver in Canada. And what I did for both of those is built out European operations and got to sort of 30 million both times in about five years. And then my daughter was born 
seven years ago in May. And I just left Pier 1 just before she was born. And what I do now is I coach CEOs of tech firms. I've got clients in US, UK, France, Spain, Australia, and coach the leadership team of those firms to get really clear on their business model because everyone has a business plan. So everyone has an Excel spreadsheet that says, I don't know, we're 10 million or 30 million and we want to be 60 million or 90 million, 200 million. They don't necessarily know quite how they're going to get there. And year over year, they're often disappointed with what progress they haven't made towards their Excel madness spreadsheet idea. And so I work with them to get really clear on who their core customer is and what their niche is. And and this conversation we're having about the hotel is very reminiscent of sort of coaching conversations I have with clients. You know, who is your customer? What will they value? Why will they pay that? Why would they darken your door? And uh, F Plan B was was a, a book I wrote last year, which was what are the, sort of the principles behind the success that I've had. And and really the having plan A, I don't know, you know, sort of burning your boats, you know, having no retreat, close force, forces people to be really, really clear on they've only got one option, which is to go forward and and they can't go backwards. So it's not you can't be half in. You've got to be all in, no plan B. And so you better get plan A better be better be right. So how could we force ourselves to commit to this project? us as a hypothetical how you know what would it be would it be uh buying the farm in the first place or would it be you know how, how could you make sure getting some investors is this like an investor type of business because that's definitely a big step if you raise funding for a project then it's kind of got to go forward because people are relying on you these types of things are about reputation you know nobody would Whereabouts in New York City, you say? I used to live in New York City. I'm in Chicago area now. And Chris is in Pennsylvania. So, so I don't know. Nobody goes to the third best Indian restaurant in Pennsylvania, right? And so, and so, you know, I think it's this would be about building a reputation. And if you could do something on a small scale, then you build a reputation. You know, you've got a sort of proof of concept. And then I think you could go and do it bigger. You know, so if you took the sort of 12 bedroom farmhouse that you were talking about, Ethan, you could prove that occupancy rates were high relative to the cost of the rooms. Your return on investment was better. Then you've got a business model. You can say, right, now we're going to do the, I don't know, the cabins and we're going to go out and find farmers and the whole thing looks like this. And then you go out and you could get. Yeah, you one could thing get you could do, you know, because actually the, the farm that we stayed at here in, in December I could tell these these people bought a farm, maybe kind of a romantic idea, but they they had their existing jobs they had to continue with. And I could tell that it, it was kind of, even though it's just Airbnb, it's a little stressful to kind of, you know, manage everything and keep track of everything. And so you could potentially, because this is actually a thing I've seen on Airbnb, you could look uh, at a site like Airbnb or VRBO and find those folks that are already doing a rental for their for their farm and make it a project to kind of go in and assist them in making it not just a place to stay, but an experience. There's actually part of the whole thing is, you know, going to feed the chickens. And maybe you can also, if you can succeed at also increasing the price for them, increasing the revenue for them by increasing the value and doing that, then I think that could be an interesting way, a low impact way, but one where you kind of burn the bridge by making the commitment and partnering with, with those people to get started. I think I think you're right. It's a it's a bit like Chris was saying with the sort of the checklist for running a restaurant. When we used to live down in the village, we had sort of two cottages that were knocked together, but you could separate them. And so, 
he did rent it out occasionally. And the, the first person who came to stay was a guy who did, his job was to advise people on how to get the most from their rental, Airbnb rental. And it was about the quality of the pictures and the quality of the towels and the champagne in the fridge for when people arrived. And, and so, you know, all of that sort of experiential so that you then get the five-star rating. And then, and I know I was down in Sydney working with a client a couple of years ago, and there's a guy there I had lunch with who used to work for me at Rackspace in the UK. And he was, he was running a business in Sydney where they basically manage Airbnb rentals for people. And it, it was that whole thing. They've got, a, they've got a playbook that says, it's a bit stressful to do it yourself. You've got a room or you've got a house. Maybe you're not even in town anymore. You know, we go in and we put all the furniture in and we then manage the whole experience all the way through from taking the booking through to cleaning it. And so I think there's a whole playbook you could have. People sign up and you do all the sales and marketing and they manage against the playbook. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's a site that I looked into for my rental property several years ago. And when I was thinking about maybe doing an Airbnb out of it, it's called AirDNA. And and you're right, this is a very rapidly growing industry because oftentimes you can make way more money doing an Airbnb on a property than you could on a traditional rental. And there's all sorts of perks from that as well. But I don't know if they're still doing it because this was a few years ago, but they had these kind of calculators uh, on this AirDNA site where you can say, you know, here's the address of the property, here's how many beds that I think I can put in it, and they'll return for you based on market comparisons, how much they think that you can return on your Airbnb income, how much you might make. They'll even give you details on what seasons you'll make more and what seasons you'll make less and things like that. So uh, interesting resource if you're going to think along these lines and explore these possibilities. Yeah, I think that's a, a great place to wrap up here. We're not reinventing the wheel with it. It's not, a, you're not, you're not trying to land a rocket on Mars or anything like that. You're uh, doing something that's been done for a long time and you're adding this, this cool element that's capturing the trend of uh, people wanting to be more in tune with nature and eat fresher food, all that. So thank you, Dom, for sharing some of the insights here and in, in how you would approach this and in, in sharing F plan B and, and some of your consulting work. That's all good stuff. If people want to find you, what's the best way that they can do so? Luckily, I've got quite an unusual name. So if you Google Dominic Monkhouse, I will be at the top of that Google search. Perfect. But then the other question we need to ask the end is yeah. when can we come and stay with you on your farm? <laughs> Anytime. Anytime. You, well, you can't stay, but you could come and visit. Like if you're in the UK, I mean, look, it's, you know, the UK is tiny. It's like really a village. Nobody's ever more than 70 miles from the sea. We're about a two hours, hour and a half, two hours south of Heathrow. So easy. I'll stay with you though. Don't worry. There's <laughs> <laughs> a couch or something, you know, whatever. Yeah, totally. I'll sleep in the barn on the hay. Totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. Sleep in the hay loft. <laughs> Dom, great to meet you. Great chatting with you. It's been a lot of fun. Looking forward to connecting again in the future. Chris, it's been lovely. Thank you for having me on. Podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.